Before we start today's interview, I wanted to take a few minutes to let you guys know about an event we have coming up in Phoenix, March 19th through the 22nd. It's called Data Center World, and like Data Center Knowledge, it's part of Informa. If you like DCK and you like this podcast, you will definitely get a lot out of Data Center World. And to tell you more, I have Brian Giluli, who's in charge of the events program. He's, he runs all the content. Hey, Brian. Hey, how are you doing, Yev? So tell us who's going to be at the show this year. What's the audience going to be like? Sure. So uh, we're expecting about uh, 1,500 or 1,600 attendees, um, and it kind of runs a cross-section, I guess, of uh, IT professionals and facilities uh, people. I'd say it's a, probably about 60-40 in that ratio. Um, but one of the things that we're uh, we looked into this year, in, you know, with that uh, concept of the fact that IT and facilities really needs to start communicating a little bit better. As we started this campaign called "I Am the Data Center," and we're profiling people um, both on our website and a little bit at the show as well, um, and how they became uh, a part of the data center profession. And the idea is to get more people to understand what is IT like, what is facilities like. You know, get a lot more of that communication going. So we're going to have, uh, you know, we're, we're working on getting more communication going and certainly also working on uh, getting some of the new trailblazers who are in the data center uh, into the show itself as well. And tell us about the workshops this year. What topics are you planning to cover? Well, I'm really thrilled about these. So we've got three workshops this year. There's one on co-location I'm very high on. Uh, it's being run by Kurt Killian, Hector Diaz, and Dave McCall. And uh, the, 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 all the workshops are three and a half hours long. It sounds like a lot, but it, they, you get a fire hose of information. And uh, the Colo one, uh, th that's an opportunity for everybody, not just to understand what is Colo about, but it really dives into um, you know, the scoping, the planning, selection, procurement, deployment, everything that happens in a Colo environment and walks you through that in sections. So that's why we have three presenters this time. Uh, so it's not too dense. There's some really good information that comes out of it. And you know, with the whole, uh, there, there's this evolution of third-party cloud marketplace, uh, you know, kind of putting pressure on data center managers to really kind of understand how the data center should be built and how to defend and define their role. And this is a, one of the uh, sessions that'll uh, show them how to do it. Uh, the other two are uh, Carrie Getz, um, who is, uh, I'm sure everybody who listens to your podcast knows Carrie, but um, she is going to be uh, doing a, a workshop on data center design, and she's calling it From Soup to Servers. And it really is, you know, runs the gamut. Uh, it's good for beginners. It's good for people who are, uh, you know, longtime professionals in the data center. It's more about strategic planning, um, you know, and again, that whole concept of how to make sure facilities and IT are working together. And then the third one is uh, Kevin Kent, who is a rising star in our DCW and DCK space. Um, he is going to be talking about the 25 kilowatt challenge. And what he's doing here, he's very big on environmental issues, um, probably the most, the, the uh, loudest proponent of environmental issues I've met in the data center industry. But um, his whole concept is, in order for us to be better at reducing our energy consumption and getting into green technologies and, and whatnot, we look too much at uh, the concept that uh, doing this takes so much. And it's, you know, it's really hard to get it into the budget and get people to follow it. He's talking about let's do it in small steps. So he's going to be teaching how to do this incremental step down in, in uh, energy consumption. So I'm really, really psyched about uh, these three. I think people will really get a lot out of them. And, you know, lots of people go to conferences to network. I know for me, it's usually the main reason to go. What kind <laughs> of networking events are there? 
So we've got a bunch of them. Uh, the uh, the a few that I'm I'm particularly uh, happy that we have, and people have been to these before. But the uh, opening and closing uh, um, receptions, where everybody from the show gets together, and there's a lot of uh, excellent mingling that goes on, not just between the attendees, but the attendees and the vendors too. So they have an opportunity to, um, uh, you know, really uh, informally talk about things. There's no selling going on. It's just really good uh, industry conversations, I guess. Um, we have a dessert reception uh, that's on Thursday. Uh, we have our Leaders Lab alumni reception. That's dedicated to our the folks who attended our Leaders Labs, which were our uh, regional workshops throughout the year. So that's more of an invitation only, but that's hugely popular with them. Uh, we have a, a few smaller things too, like sweat working yoga. If you're into yoga, we've got a um, couple of mornings where we're going to be doing what we call sweat working. So that gives you an opportunity to meet some people uh, and, and network as well. So there's a bunch of different things. There's a, a reception on the expo floor. Um, it, just a lot of good opportunities. And, and as you kind of alluded to, you go to these things yourself to do a lot of networking. A lot of it happens in the hallways. So, uh, you know, definitely a great opportunity to meet up with people and, uh, you know, from our industry and really get to understand what they're going through. All right. Anything else fun to look forward to? Yeah. So I, I guess if I could mention our, our data center stage, uh, data center knowledge stage, we can see here we are on your podcast, right? So yeah. we've got the uh, stage on the expo show floor that uh, is branded for data center knowledge. Uh, we have you that you're going to be there. We appreciate that. You're going to be doing an executive interview for us, and we, we're happy to have you doing that. But uh, the stage has a whole bunch of different things like uh, lightning talks and product demos. Uh, we're going to have a game show, which is a lot of fun. Uh, it's going to be on Thursday and Friday of the the uh, uh, event. So Bill Clayman's going to be doing our, you know, releasing our annual state of the uh, data center report. Um, Julie Albright, uh, an author, is coming in to talk about her book, Devices, uh, How Digital Natives Are Reshaping the American Dream. Uh, and FedEx is coming in to talk about the virtual data center of the future. So a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. Just go to datacenterworld.com and there's plenty of information there beyond all this and uh, the ability to sign up as well and register. All right. So that's datacenterworld.com, and mm -hmm. it's in Phoenix, March 19th through the 22nd. Thank you, Brian. Okay, Evgeny. Thank you. Thank you. Now back to our podcast episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Data Center Podcast. Uh, we're here at the brand new headquarters uh, of Bloom Energy in San Jose. Uh, we're here visiting Peter Gross. He's the VP of Mission Critical Systems at Bloom. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for having us here. My pleasure. Bloom manufactures a fuel cell-based um, energy uh, generators called energy servers. Fuel cells use a chemical process to convert natural gas or biogas to electricity. Um, Peter has a pretty long history in the data center industry, so um, why don't we start by you telling us how you got here, how you got to be at Bloom, what was your path? Yeah, indeed, it's a, it's a long history. Uh, I've been I've been very fortunate to be in this uh, in this business for a, a long time. I started uh, um, in uh, in the manufacturing part of the business. I was chief engineer at Teledyne iNet, one of the early manufacturers of UPS systems. That gives me an early exposure to to the data center business. This was uh, the uh, during the 80s, uh, mid 80s, late uh, late 80s. Uh, um, then uh, I uh, I got into the consulting business uh, 
um, working with a small uh, consulting business, uh, primarily serving uh, financial institutions and major banks in New York and other parts of the country. Um, in uh, 97, um, I co-founded uh, EYP, Mission Curricular Facilities, um, that became one of the premier consulting uh, engineering firms dedicated dedicated to the to the data center business. Uh, uh, the company grew very fast. Uh, became one of the uh, the largest provider of services during the dot, dot com. Survived the uh, nuclear winter after the dot com bust um, because we still had a very uh, strong presence in the financial industry. And then when the business continued uh, came back. Uh, we are well positioned, and uh, we, we became absolutely the the, uh, the largest provider of these kind of services um, around the world. Uh, we had many offices in U.S. and uh, and other parts of the world, and we uh, we served uh, um, the uh, the early uh, internet uh, companies, the colocation players, uh, the the Apples and the Microsofts, uh, uh, major banks, J.P. Morgan Chase and Citicorp. Um, in uh, towards the end of uh, um, last century, um, um, uh, I'm sorry, towards uh, uh, the uh, uh, 2008, 2007, uh, we sold the company to HP. Um, I continued to to work in the uh, in the data center space uh, as a managing partner at. Uh, uh, in the consulting business at HP, and uh, when my four-year contract with uh, HP expired, uh, I joined uh, uh, Bloom because I felt that this is a single most interesting, the most uh, disruptive and transformational solution for the data center, which, uh, by the way, didn't didn't evolve very much from the time I started in the. Uh, in the mid 80s so uh, uh, finding a, a way to uh, to transform this business bring it closer to uh, the kind of um, uh, reliability sustainability resiliency that is required in the data center today uh, I found bloom to be the right vehicle and before we get into bloom I just want to mention that um, EYP is back HP spun it out recently was it last year it was, uh, uh, yes, uh, early last year. But you're no longer involved in that, no. in EYP. But some of the original um, yeah, folks that were EYP uh, kind of are yes. leading that company now as a standalone. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And uh, yeah, it's a, uh, uh, I wish them well. I, uh, I'll do my best to help them because, uh, you know, they are the, the same people I worked with for a long, long time. And uh, they have some remarkably good engineers. Mm-hmm. So um, I have in my hand a piece of cardboard. It's about four by four inches square. Uh, it has some graphics on it showing, trying to show how a fuel cell works. Can you just, just take it and walk us through what, what's on there? What, is it, what does it all mean? <coughs> Actually, it's very simple. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, the fuel cell was invented uh, in the mid-1800s. Uh, that's uh, almost 200 years ago. Um, and it's a fairly simple uh, process where hydrogen is combined with uh, oxygen in the air, and the uh, the output is 
electricity. Now, it sounds very simple. Reality is that uh, uh, it's a very complicated and complex process. Uh, uh, every single um, manufacturers that uh, works in this space uh, has tried to develop a, a fuel cells that is uh, uh, reliable, that has a significant life expectancy, that is efficient, and most importantly, that is cost effective. And uh, um, it hasn't, it, uh, uh, it wasn't an easy process. I think that uh, um, Bloom is the first company that has been able to develop a product in the stationary business. Uh, bear in mind, there is uh, there are different type of fuel cells. Uh, right, there are buses driving all over right. San Francisco that are fuel cell powered. And yes, it's a totally different technology. It's uh, uh, these are. Uh, uh, PAM fuel cells that uh, uh, use a very expensive catalyst, and it works well for uh, for the automotive automotive industry. However, for large systems like uh, um, the stationary uh, solutions provided by Bloom, need to have a different uh, compositions to avoid expensive materials in order to scale it up. Uh, and because of that, uh, um, uh, uh, Bloom uses a, um, a solution called solid oxide. There are a few other technologies out there, but uh, there is a fairly broad consensus uh, that uh, that the, the right solution to provide this kind of cost-effective and reliable solution is the solid oxide mm -hmm. type of fuel cell. So, what are um, can you tell us what are kind of the basic components of fuel cell? So that, that piece it's, of cardboard is meant to represent kind of it's, it's to be a basic, close to the size of a fuel cell. Right, but, it's uh, a, a four by four inch uh, um, plate, and uh, um, it's um, uh, this is a building block of of the system. Um, a little a little. Um, uh, four by four square like this will generate about between 25 and 30 watts. Um, and uh, uh, essentially we have a cer ceramic um, electrolyte and an anode and the cathode. Um, uh, to a certain degree it uh, mirrors a, a battery, although it's totally different, but it has an anode. Um, we, uh, we bring uh, uh, natural gas on the surface of the anode, and we um, there is a reformation process uh, of uh, extracting hydrogen from uh, methane CH4. Uh, on the other side, on the other side of the plate, we uh, uh, bring oxygen, uh, air, uh, and the, the combination of the two uh, through the porous electrolyte will uh, uh, will generate electricity, and there are a few uh, byproducts, but. Uh, um, it's important to understand that this is a um, electrochemical process. There is no combustions, and uh, therefore there is no smoke. There is no. There are no particles. There is no NOx and SOx. These are these are very harmful uh, components. Uh, there is a small um, CO2 gen uh, uh, generated, but uh, typically much lower than the average CO2 generated by a power plant. In United States, um, also important to understand that uh, uh, the efficiency of the process is um, is very high. It starts around 65 percent, um, which is dramatically higher than pretty much any kind of other uh, power source in 
in the world today, much, much higher than uh, turbines, reciprocating engines, microturbines, any, any, other, any other components, except maybe if you take a CHP solution and you combine uh, the, efficient, the electrical efficiency and the thermal efficiency, you, you achieve higher uh, uh, efficiency as long as you can find a good app, uh, utilization for heat. Mm -hmm. And that efficiency, sixty-five percent, is sixty-five uh, percent of, of what of uh, it's fuel the, total it's, energy it's, potential. It's a ratio. It's a ratio between the AC output. It's important to understand that uh, uh, the fuel cell generates electricity, DC electricity. In, in Bloom's case, it's uh, plus minus four hundred volts, three hundred eighty uh, volts DC. Um, and then on the output we have a DC to DC converter and an inverter that uh, converts the the DC. Uh, output into AC utilization for 80 volts or, uh, or high voltage uh, at any frequency, either 60 or 50 hertz. Uh, so it's the ratio between the AC output and the, the energy content of, of, uh, of the natural gas. Mm -hmm. And you guys have been, you've gone through kind of multiple uh, generations of fuel cells um, and, and yes. each one of those has increased the density of every fuel cell and also brought down the cost of materials yeah it's uh, it's been a, a remarkable journey for for bloom uh, considering the fact that uh, um, you know shortly before i joined the company about six years ago uh, a uh, a server what we call server our our basic uh, building block uh, um, was um, uh, was generating about 100 kilowatts the same, essentially the same footprint not right now generates 500 kilowatts. So it's a five to one increase in mm -hmm. the power density. And that has to do with uh, significant uh, uh, technology uh, advances, innovation. Um, you know, there are a lot of components, elements that have been um, modified, adjusted, improved over the years. and. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that translates into higher density, lower footprint, higher efficiency, uh, higher reliability, longer longer life. Um, I, I want to qualify one statement I made before. Uh, when I said 65%, this is uh, the efficiency being 65%. This is uh, the efficiency at the beginning uh, of life. Uh, like, like batteries, like other components, the efficiency degrades over the life of the system, but for all our customers, we guarantee an efficiency in the uh, neighborhood of 53 to 55% throughout the life of the system, which could be 20 years or so, could be mm -hmm. as much as uh, 20 years, could be much shorter than that. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I know last time I was here, uh, some of your marketing folks said um, the cost of materials had gone down also by 75%. Um, <coughs> how, how is that possible? How do you... Well, it's uh, that much. like anything else. It's uh, uh, it's innovation, uh, finding um, alternate solutions, and equally important, it's uh, ability to leverage the supply chain. Uh, it's a mm -hmm. it's a chicken and egg thing. Uh, obviously, by increasing the volume, you reduce the uh, uh, the, the cost of. Uh, of the supply, uh, also the supply chain, and uh, in the same time, okay. for, so there for wasn't like a one big technological breakthrough. No, 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 no. That this kind is of pushed, it's responsible uh, for more, most of that. 
Yeah, that's, the company has been continuously improving in innovation. There is not the the basic principle uh, operational infra, uh, st structure of the of the system has not uh, changed dramatically. The, the basic concept has stayed the same. But there are there are uh, an infinite number of incremental improvements that are leading to that to that uh, 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 improvement. Um, and you produce these. Uh, partially here in uh, Silicon Valley and also in the Midwest somewhere there's a second plant yeah we have two plants one one here and uh, where we we manufacture the the most important components the cell itself uh, and we assemble the whole thing uh, in uh, in Delaware okay um, now most bloom deals with data centers or not data centers um, I guess it's important to note that you guys um, sell to data center operators, but also to corporate buildings and, and right. whatnot. Um, um, most of the deals you guys make are, are power purchase agreements. So essentially, it's not like, you know, Equinix buys a bunch of uh, your um, energy servers, and then that's it. That's like they have it as a product. It's more like you guys install them and you provide them energy as kind of a like a solar operator would Right. Yeah, Can you we explain have explain how a typical PPA. Yeah, works we have several that? several vehicles. We financial vehicles we, we use. Obviously, some people uh, buy the equipment and they uh, own it, or some people lease the uh, the systems. But most people today use a, a power purchase agreement, a PPA solution. Um, it's um, um, under any kind of uh, financial arrangement. Bloom will provide an end-to-end -end support of the equipment. It's not uh, buying a Bloom system. It's not like buying, let's say, a generator or a UPS system. Uh, it's more like purchasing electricity from the utility. Bloom is responsible for anything having to do with, with uh, the design, the permitting, gas, uh, construction, installation, equipment, and support of the system throughout the life of the system. Essentially, it's it's the same arrangement uh, a company has with the utility company. Uh, the company is not responsible for, for the wires or the transformers or the protection devices in the PG&E distribution system, let's say. That's mm -hmm. very similar for Bloom. Um, as opposed to a more traditional piece of equipment where uh, uh, the the user uh, buys the equipment and then uh, gets into an agreement, a maintenance agreement, uh, uh, buys spare parts, uh, pays for certain repairs or uh, or maintenance activities throughout the life of the system. Mm. And um, the PPAs, how are they typically structured? You you guys um, kind of you you charge based on the amount of energy. That's being generated. Is yes, that, um, essentially the customers per pays for the electricity it uses. Okay. Once again, it's just it's just like buying electricity from the from the utility company. So, so they, they they the PPA has um, a fixed price for the duration of the contract. And well, it, it depends. Uh, uh, um, the the customer usually uh, uh, pays for uh, for the gas or the uh, the cost of the system. Uh, uh, the, 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 
there is a variability in the, in the cost of natural gas, but the, the equipment and, uh, and the maintenance activity is set at the beginning of the contract. I see, I see. So they don't pay per kW hour generated? Yes, they do. They do? Yeah. And also for natural gas? Yeah. Okay. So, um, let's see. And, and, um, and how many data center customers versus non-data center customers do you guys have? Well, um, yeah, that's a, a good question. Uh, first of all, uh, it's important to understand that uh, Bloom provides two basic uh, solutions. One is called uh, Grid Parallel. Grid Parallel solution, uh, to a certain degree, mirrors, mirrors uh, any kind of uh, CHP or other distributed generation uh, products, such as a solar array, for instance where uh, the system is connected in parallel with the grid on the load side of the meter. Um, it's, it's strictly a financial benefit uh, because uh, the if the electrons generated by the fuel cells are cheaper than the electrons coming from, from the grid, the, the user benefits from this reduction in price. Um, but it's important to understand that this is not really a reliability enhancement solution because if the grid fails um, the system has to disconnect itself from the line this is uh, um, rule 21 IEEE 1457 there are many requirements legislations uh, that that requires a distributed generation system to isolate itself from a death bus. That's a, it's a safety issue there, are, and there are some other considerations. Um, the system, certain system, can reconnect uh, to the to the uh, the load after it's isolated from the grid. So there is an interruption there. So in terms of power quality, this is not really a mission critical solution. Hmm. We do have a. Um, the other solution is what we call a mission critical solution, where we uh, absolutely guarantee a power quality that is similar to the power quality delivered by the UPS system. In other words, uh, uh, we guarantee a, uh, uh, a power delivered to the servers that uh, uh, meets the uh, uh, ITIC curve, uh, an interruption if there is a transfer switch on the output that uh, should not exceed probably 10 to 15 uh, milliseconds. Uh, and this is for mission critical applications for server data centers. And at that point it replaces UPS? Yes, in that, at that point uh, replaces both the UPS batteries and the, generator. and the generators. So, in, and in certain cases, even utilities. So this is a fundamental paradigm shift. So it's that's what eBay is doing in, in Utah. Yes. They're using Bloom Energy as kind of the, the main power source. It's a main power source with utility as a backup. As a backup. Uh, pretty much it operates similar, uh, similar to a UPS system, but instead of the UPS with the utility as a bypass, uh, we use Bloom as as the main source of power, and we have a transfer switch uh, connected to the utility in the event there is a failure of the Bloom system or there is an interruption in the gas supply, the system transfers to utility and um, the system continues to operate uh, being supplied by, by the utility. So do all 
do all data center users use the mission critical solution or some of them use the, the cost reduction version? Both. Some of them use uh, uh, use the the grid parallel solution. Some of them use uh, um, use the uh, the so-called mission critical applications. Um, some of them use a, uh, or a combination of the two. Mm -hmm. um, um, it's uh, I, I may have to add that we have a uh, hybrid solution between the two of them, where uh, we uh, we provide um, certain. For certain applications where uh, uh, continuity of power is important, but um, but it doesn't necessarily uh, feed a computer load that has uh, very strict uh, power quality requirements. It could be it could provide a short interruption. Uh, there are you know department stores, uh, 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 other applications, even buildings, where um, the the load can can. Uh, uh, survive a uh, short interruption uh, seconds or so. Mm -hmm. So we have that that solution in place as well. Um. So, and um, if you deploy this in, it's in both cases, is there still a cost benefit to the solution? Well, um, yes. Uh, obviously, the financial element is is critical, um, and. Uh, uh, we developed some very sophisticated uh, financial models. Pretty much everybody who buys these systems uh, uh, looks at uh, the financials very closely. And the, the um, uh, financial output of the Bloom solution depends on a number of factors. Uh, you have to look at the cost of electricity at that particular location and the Escalation in the process of electricity, cost of natural gas, and similarly the escalation projections for uh, for natural gas, but also the cost of the displaced equipment in the in case uh, uh, that right. that solution requires. If you're uh, not paying for UPS, that's not paying for uh -huh. you know, for those, those elements. Uh, it has to look at the the cost of installation. Uh, what kind of uh, and some of, sometimes this cost mm -hmm. could be significant. And as I said before, Bloom, Bloom right. also provides all the, the cost associated with installation. So, lots of things you have so to there are many factors that come into the picture here. So uh, is, now, is there a way to, I don't know, provide kind of an overall idea of the kind of savings? Say, if you were to install um, 10 megawatts of Bloom Energy Servers in Ashburn, would you, you know, in the PPA with Bloom, would you be getting uh, savings over whatever you would get? Uh, from utility. Well, it, it's uh, that's a, a kind of a hypothetical question, so I, I probably won't be able to to answer unless I have some some very specific uh, information about those those elements. Okay. Uh, so say okay. So in let's say, take take something that's not hypothetical. Um, Apple's uh, Bloom installation in North Carolina. Uh, in that situation, what kind of savings um, is Apple getting? You think? I really don't know. I. It's, uh, um, the savings um, are um, over a 20-year period, um, and uh, and we also have to understand that there are there are other considerations uh, in addition to the savings. Uh, uh, Apple being so um, so concerned about uh, the sustainability element right. uh, in their commitment to a zero carbon. Uh, 
uh, gall they, uh, uh, for instance, made in, is all operating on non-directed biogas. So that's that was another factor that, that contributed to to that their mm -hmm. decisions there. Um, so. Um, so th there are other elements. Uh, the reliability uh, is also a factor. Um, the uh, the space required. Uh, bear in mind that uh, this is an outdoor type installation. Could be installed indoors, but uh, but the absolute vast majority of systems are outside, and that, that reduces the the footprint of the data center dramatically because you know a two N type uh, uh, architecture would take between uh, 35 and 50 percent of the space, assuming that the generators are, uh, are located inside the building, between uh, the, the generator and the UPSs and the battery and the sources, uh, switch gears, uh, a very large uh, space uh, is taken inside, inside the building. Uh, with this solution, uh, all those components are eliminated pretty much with the exception of uh, uh, of the incoming switch gear and maybe some distribution components, PDEs, uh, maybe uh, SDSs on the floor. Everything else is installed outside, so there is a significant saving associated with the space. Mm -hmm. And then another um, factor that's included in overall cost is incentives, um, efficiency or um, sustainability incentives. Yeah, there, there are, are federal level incentives, and the states have their own. Can you explain how that works? Uh, yeah, there are. Uh, there is a uh, a tax credit, a federal tax credit, a thirty percent tax credit uh, that uh, uh, that uh, will probably be available for the next five years or so. And then uh, there are uh, state incentives. It's a, a variety of uh, state and local, local incentives. California has some, uh, uh, Massachusetts, uh, Connecticut, uh, New York, they, they have a variety of incentives. Uh, <coughs> and they have to do with uh, clear uh, uh, financial incentives or, uh, or things related to standby uh, um, uh, charges. Um, um, things of that nature. And, and in most cases, um, availability of incentives usually is um, one of the kind of most important factors that makes a customer decide. No, it's not the most solution. important. It's not the most important thing. It I'm certainly, it, 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 it certainly contributes to uh, the, the overall cost uh, element, and you said cost is uh, extremely important. Uh, but as I said, um, it's. Um, there are other there are other elements that uh, that contribute to the decision process. So. Mm -hmm. <coughs> and um, so hyperscalers are known for going kind of the most cost efficient um, route for their data centers. Um, and so I don't know if you guys consider Apple hyperscale or not, um, I, but um, I don't think any other hyperscalers have deployed um, this solution. Why not? Um, well, there is a, a variety of, of things. Um, first of all, uh, we still we still are still uh, talking to some of them. Um, secondly, um, some of them use uh, uh, OCP. Um, Open nineteen is uh, is gaining some tractions right now. Um, so uh, that requires a totally different architecture. And Open nineteen um, is the LinkedIn, the LinkedIn um, solution. Yes. 
the <laughs> standard for installing servers and racks and, and plugging everything in very quickly. That's right. Plus, uh, um, it, it uses a, a um, DC 12-volt uh, distribution in the rack. There's a, uh, a rectifier with a battery in the, in the cabinet itself. Um, so it doesn't use um, um, uh, centralized UPSs. It does use generators, but uh, not centralized UPS. And uh, Open 19 uh, um, uh, OCP uh, uses uh, different architecture, but also uh, eliminates the need for no centralized UPS. Centralized UPS. Uh -huh. And so no. that and that means the because you're you're not getting rid of the UPS uh, with Bloom. In that case, that makes uh, Bloom less appealing, right? No, I think that the main reason, the main reason for uh, uh, for that is uh, um, these are extremely large installations, and uh, and uh, we have to go through a through a adoption process. Uh, um, you know, installing a 150 megawatt system is it's probably uh, uh, requires some some uh, a strong commitment uh, so a, a pilot of some sort uh, typically is required mm -hmm. but m more importantly uh, the vast majority of uh, hyperscale installations are located in very low uh, cost of electricity locations uh, if you look at uh, where they go um, cost of electricity uh, and at that level um, utilities are willing to provide some strong yeah, incentive. So, so uh, sometimes we have uh, we would have problems competing with that. However, uh, as the uh, industry evolves, uh, as the the whole hyperscale architecture evolves, uh, and uh, the availability zones uh, uh, concept and the availability regions uh, require uh, the location of these data centers that. Uh, uh, not, not, not necessarily only in low cost. Uh, they need more data centers that are kind of, right. kind of close to each other, but also a few miles away. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so um, once again, um, um, in if you look in, in uh, at the macro level, uh, Bloom has been around in the data center space. For a relatively short time, it's about five years, which in this business is uh, uh, very short, uh, um, especially when it comes to power and to a lesser extent when it comes to cooling. Uh, um, innovation has not come very easily in this in this business in, in our industry, unfortunately. And as I, as I mentioned before, uh, uh, one of the main reasons that uh, attract me to, to Bloom is the fact that uh, I wanted to to help develop uh, a more, more uh, uh, innovative, progressive architecture, uh, different than what I have been doing for the last thirty years. Mm -hmm. So, so you you believe that um, it's a, it would still at some point make sense um, for one hundred fifty megawatt I'm absolutely sites to I'm absolutely, be powered by Bloom. I'm absolutely convinced that uh, uh, this is a technology of the future. Um, and there are a number of reasons of that. Um, as the company evolves, um, we continue to reduce cost, reduce footprint. Uh, the the drive towards um, um, green power, sustainable, 
sustainable energy will continue and it will become even more important in, in the years to come. And if you come to data centers, the only reasonable solution is using a, uh, a bloom powered by uh, biogas uh, to create a power source that uh, is car zero carbon. Solar or wind are not obviously practical solutions for data center where continuity of power is so, so critical. Bloom is a baseload uh, uh, device, runs 7 by 24 for, uh, for 20 years without interruption. And uh, as we announced not that long ago, now we have the ability to use the biogas. Uh, we've been using biogas in the past as directed biogas, uh, but now we can, we can use it, we can physically locate uh, our uh, uh, data center powered mm -hmm. by Bloom uh, uh, in the vicinity of a biogas supply. But that, but that complicates things, right? Because biogas isn't necessarily readily available everywhere. Uh, and these plants understand um, the plants that can process waste and create biogas um, extracted right. are not cheap. Um, yeah, but uh, the price is coming down uh, like anything else. I think that uh, the reliability and availability of biogas is going to increase uh, dramatically. I think that uh, Europe is more more advanced than we are here. and. Uh, there are some uh, some good uh, opportunities for us in uh, mm -hmm. Western Europe. Is Bloom um, doing anything to help that along development of biogas around the world? Uh, not 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 really. I mean, we have our hands full with what we do here, and uh, <laughs> getting to do uh, a biogas business. But obviously, being uh, uh, we we have the an opportunity to being a large customer of uh, of a biogas solution, and we see more more and more interest uh, from biogas suppliers. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, coming back to your original questions, uh, whether or not Bloom will, will become a uh, uh, solutions for for hyperscale in the years to come, uh, as I said, so the, the sustainability element, the cost element, the reliability element, the footprint element is uh, is important. Uh, um, it's uh, um, we talked about the the shrinking of the uh, of the footprint, the increase in, in density. Mm -hmm. uh, it, but but uh, we went one step further, and this is primarily for uh, uh, locations in uh, in Asia uh, and other parts of maybe Western Europe, where uh, where land is becoming very critical. We have a new solution called. Uh, 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 power tower that uh, essentially the ability to stack fuel cells on top of each other uh, and that will reduce the footprint even even further so is that already out yes it's already out we already have an installation in Tokyo uh -huh. uh, in I'm sorry in Korea that uh, that uses uh, uh, these kind of solutions so can, can you give us an idea of um, how much more power you get per square foot well, it's a uh, with um, this tall solution. We we uh, we can have three stories or four story high, so uh, uh, that would reduce wow. the footprint by a factor of four. So this tower would be three three or four stories high. Yeah, yeah, <coughs> uh, and it works very well. Um, because right now it's well, the the older solutions are less than one story high, right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The traditional uh, the, all the legacy systems are. Uh, at, at the, the ground level or uh, or on top of the building or, uh -huh. um, and uh, you know we have the ability to to physically locate these boxes uh, 
uh, in a variety of ways. So that gives uh, a lot of flexibility we have. Uh, we have a system, that, for instance, at uh, Morgan Stanley in New York City on a, on a setback right in, uh, in Times Square that uh, uh, requires some creativity in, in, uh, in terms of uh, arranging the systems, but uh, but proves that uh, there is a lot of uh, uh, mm -hmm. flexibility. In the Creativity in arranging the systems. In what sense? What did you guys have to do for that? Optimizing optimizing a relatively small a small space, uh, and uh, still being able to to provide uh, uh, provide the required number of uh, uh, servers to uh, to feed the expected load. Microsoft has been experimenting with in-rack fuel cells um, also powered by uh, biogas or natural gas right what are your thoughts on that solution and is well, that something you guys um, would get into yeah we're we're also looking at uh, um, these kind of solutions so these I, are I, smaller um, energy supplies yeah, that are inside IT racks and they're sitting uh, sitting on top of the uh, on top of the of the cabinets um, you know it's it's a solution that will work uh, whether or not uh, bringing natural gas inside the computer room um, um, you know Microsoft has been always very creative and uh, they have some very interesting very innovative solutions um, however uh, I believe for larger scale um, having a quote-unquote centralized system sitting outside the computer room is probably a more desirable solution. Um, the edge data center uh, that is coming, you know, it's becoming uh, uh, very critical in the next few years will, will change this architecture quite a bit. So we are, I think we're well positioned to um, capture a significant uh, part of that business of the edge business of the edge data uh -huh. center business with your existing uh, solutions or are you guys working on something specifically for edge something smaller well, um, once again uh, we are fairly uh, creative uh, and flexible uh, we have DC solutions uh, and some of the players here are, uh, are looking at uh, a DC output uh, because right now as you very well know uh, the majority of the server manufacturers provide universal power supply. That uh, uh, in the same slot you can insert a uh, AC power supply or a DC power supply. So that makes it uh, relatively easy to do. And uh, a lot of people are looking at uh, uh, 380 volts DC. Uh, so eliminate the number of transformations. So that's uh, uh, so we we have that uh, that piece there. Um, there are as you. Also, very well know there are uh, locations around the world where um, power availability is an issue. Uh, there is not either not enough power, or it takes too long for power to be brought to the site, or the cost of the uh, substation associated with that is too high. And Bloom can provide a solution uh, that works without without uh, utility uh, as the sole sort of power. Uh, assuming that the, the gas supply is is reliable, uh, if not, uh, we can store uh, natural gas on the, the premise, uh, and uh, that will provide uh, uh, an additional level of uh, uh, reliability. Have you guys um, installed anything like that so far? No, but we are working on a number of projects. Okay. Uh, so, like a fuel, uh, oh, um, an energy server with like a gas tank. 
somewhere in your body. Yeah, it could be it could be either a compressed gas tank or it could be an LNG solution, uh, mm -hmm. liquefied natural gas. Um, we haven't because most of our uh, systems are installed in, in this country or in countries where uh, gas is readily available and reliable. So um, we run multiple uh, reliability model. We looked at the reliability of the, of the utility, reliability of the natural gas supply, and the reliability of the bloom systems in comparison to to a traditional architecture. So, uh, in most cases, the customer, I mean, pretty much in every case, the customer decided that uh, the, the additional complication and cost associated with the on site uh, ga gas storage is not justified. So, mm -hmm. and, um, and again, I want to go back to that question earlier about the amount of, of um, data center customers. You guys have so far installed about 100 megawatts of data center capacity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in that uh, general vicinity. And how many companies is that? Can you share? I don't know. Probably a dozen. Looks like we're um, coming up on our time here. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure.